morning. So I put you to bed last night and I'm charged to wake you up. Do you all sleep well? We have a message to go through this morning. You've got an outline in your, um, in your little booklets. We're going to be going through those one at a time. Before we start, let's open in a, in a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, we rejoice so much, dear Lord, in the wonderful fellowship that we had last night. The time that we spent together, asking questions, talking, talking about you, Lord. Inquiring, dear Father, more into who you are, your character, dear Lord, what you would have us to do and to be within our own lives, Father. And, and we can rejoice, dear Lord, in the wonderful salvation that we have. And I pray for those that are yet to realise it, dear Lord, and I just ask you, dear Father, that you would continue to burden their heart for the truth of you. Lord, I ask you, dear Father, you would be with me, that you would awaken my mind and my heart and, and awaken each one of us that are here, that we would hear the words of God and we would understand from the beginning to the end, dear Lord, that we are here to do your will and that we would be blessed in doing so. Father, we thank you, dear Lord, and we praise your wonderful, most glorious name. Amen. Again, we have three points. And I'm going to give them to you again ahead of time so you don't miss them. The first one is that we are accounted to know God's will. We are accounted to know God's will. The second one is we were created to do God's will. And the third is that we are to be desired to find God's will. Desired to find God's will. And the first part, accounted to know God's will, there's three main points. It's endemic in creation. In other words, it's prevalent throughout creation, throughout this entire universe, that we can know of God. Um, it was God's will for man to know that he is. A lot of people think, well, why didn't he just sort of stick his face out of the clouds and, 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 and say, hey, I'm God and uh, you're not, and uh, stay in line. God didn't choose to do it that way. He chose to reveal himself within creation, within everything around us. We should be able to recognise the attributes of God. I am that I am. Moses at the time. And what's interesting about that is that Moses identified God, but he needed to identify God to his people. His people have been in the land of Egypt for over 400 years at this point. And they were part of the culture now in Egypt, and Egypt worshipped many gods. And each one of those gods, were, were their character was determined and understood by what they were called. Isn't that interesting? Their character was determined by... So they understood that God by his name. So when Moses asked the question, who, who should I say sent me? I mean, what is your name? Basically was what he was asking. The Lord knew exactly what he needed to tell those people to be able to identify who he is. I am that I am. I am the ever-present, eternal one. I am the one that always was and the one that will always be. He has no beginning nor end. He was telling Moses the one characteristic of himself that he knew Israel would identify with. Amazing, isn't it? It's amazing when you look at the culture of the people that are around them and you understand why, why it was perhaps that, um, that the Lord used that title of himself. So it was his characteristic. 
But the Bible also indicates to us, and this is how he speaks to the rest of the world, that it's through creation that we can come to understand him. Open your Bibles to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is a beautiful psalm. It's, it's, um, it's certainly one of my favourites because it often tells a little bit about my testimony, about how I came to who God was, or came to at least realise that God is. And it was God's will to reveal himself to me. And he revealed himself to me through creation. <clears throat> Every time I, I grew up in school and I'm listening to these messages about evolution and all that sort of stuff, and I, I never believed it from the beginning. Before I was a Christian, well before I was, I didn't come to the Lord until I was 29. But it was through creation that I was able to discover who he was. And I was a young girl, uh, 16, I was about 17 at the time, and she didn't really share the gospel with me too much, but she was trying to point out that God exists. And, and I'm being a typical smart aleck rebellious teenager, uh, and, and we, were, we were sort of haunting the streets of Footscray at the time. And... Um, and I go, yeah, where is he? I mean, you know, it, it, prove, prove it. Have you Prove that he exists. Prove that God is real. And she simply just said to me, open your eyes and look around. Oh, that was all she said. All she said, open your eyes and look around. And I'm like, yeah, right. I sort of left it at that. And, um, and I said to her, mate, I've, I've got to go back, back to Melton because Melton's, Melton was home. The last train was at 8.30. I said, look, girl, I've got, to, I've got to shoot off, you know, I've got to run. And she goes, okay, because I'm going I'm to miss my train. She goes, well, I'll pray that it's late, you know. And, uh, and I said to her, right, oh, okay, okay, good, good. Well, you pray and I'll run. <laughs> so I ran, I ran. And you wouldn't believe what I was doing while I was running. I was praying. God, let the train be late, please, let it be late, please. I've got to get home. And I get to the train, go over the overpass. They had this old rickety overpass there. Ran down the ramp and the train is there and it's starting to look like it was pulling away and there was a conductor back then. We had conductors. <laughs> and the conductor was there and I ran up and I'm walking behind. I could still see myself now running behind him and he was standing directly underneath the Backers Marsh sign. That was the line that I had to take. And, and he's waving it off, basically. And I ran up right next to him and I go, oh, missed it, huh? And he goes, missed what? I said, the, the Backers Marsh train. He goes, no, no, it's going to be late. The lines are down. It's going to be another 20 minutes. I'm like, right, right, okay. So I went and I, I got into the little place where they had the seats and I sort of sat there and I'm like, looking down. And I look up and shake my head thinking, that can't be right. You know, sometimes God speaks really, really clearly to those of us who are foolish, you know. And I was certainly foolish. And it's, it's interesting. I didn't come to the Lord for another 13 years. 13 years of trouble. 13 years that fits your age group. From 17 to the age of 29. That's why this is such an important gathering, such an important meeting of people. Because it's through that period that I made a complete mess of my life. And it's through that time frame that you guys are going to be making some important decisions within your life. It's going to be moving in one direction or another. And I can still remember her. I mean, incredible, isn't it? She had a role to play in my salvation, and yet all she did was witness to me in a, in a really plain way, you know. And that's a wonderful sign for you too. 
You don't have to be filled with knowledge. You just have to be filled with the Spirit of God, you know? And she was, and she showed that love to me by, able to, by being able to share it. But have a look at this, because this is speaking about creation. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The heavens declare, they speak out, they cry out that God is. They tell to all the world and declare to the world who God is. It declares his glory. Incredible, isn't it? Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. It's interesting how the scientists, when they want to know a little bit more about creation and about the universe, when do they study it? Night unto night it shows knowledge. Matter of fact, they can't have their telescopes anywhere near a city. They have to have it perched high on a hill or they have to have it in the middle of nowhere. We went to, uh, we were somewhere near the centre of Australia over there in New South Wales, South Australia. Right up the top there, there was a telescope there, but it wasn't. Um, it was a it was a radio telescope, but they needed complete darkness and and just quietness around there. But the other telescopes, they can't have light interfering, so they need as much darkness as they can without any interference from the earthly light. So night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. You know, you come to Australia, come to Australia as an immigrant, you don't really know the language, you don't know how to speak, you don't understand it. It's pretty hard to hold you accountable to any of the laws of this country when you don't even understand the language. You hear, Lord speaks with one language and everybody understands. Everyone knows. Everyone knows that God is. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The incredible reality about God is, is found right throughout this universe. Go to your Bible still in Romans chapter 1. Have a look there. This is another interesting place, because where this discusses about the reality of who God is, holds him perfectly accountable to know him. Romans chapter 1. When you find your place in Romans chapter 1, move down to verse 18. Here, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That means they hold the truth where it ought not to be. They hold the truth in a position where it shouldn't be. It's basically lying. Hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Now look at this. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What we spend all this time studying apologetics, studying how to convince the mind that God exists. We, we, we have all these books, and I've read so many of them, and I can argue with probably the best of them about science and about the reality of God and looking at it in creation. We can talk about the argument from design that Pastor Mitchell was alluding to. 
And we can speak about that. But the Bible says they already know. They already know God exists. He says they are without excuse. Because the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. We can look at the things that are made and we can see the design of God in them. We can see that there had to be a master craftsman behind it all. We can recognise it. You can pluck a leaf off a tree and you discover the incredible design that's in there. You know, we can understand it. Hebrews. Have a look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and and verse 3. This is the wonderful chapter on faith that we see. It simply says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. Things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. This is... Feels really solid. It, it appears, you know. It's I can see it. Yet it's made of things which are unseen. What's it made of that's unseen? Atoms. We can't see atoms. Do you know? It was only up until a few years ago that they were actually able to see atoms. They understood that atoms were there from the earliest of times. They understood that word in scripture. The things are made of things which are unseen. They understood that. They understood the things are made of atoms. Recently, we had the Higgs boson that was discovered. If you've gone into some of the science that's going on in the world today, it was a massive, massive event, and it was celebrated worldwide. The Hadron Collider in, in, um, in Europe, 27 kilometres in circumference, this thing is, and what it is is a particle accelerator, so it accelerates these particles. So you've got atoms and you've got particles that are smaller than atoms. The problem that they had was they couldn't understand what held these atoms together. To form all these different shapes. See, by their very nature, they should not necessarily be held together. Atoms should be able to just be free-flowing and all over the place. What holds us together? They can't understand what holds us together. What, what holds us together? What holds us together? Yeah, the Lord holds everything together. So they were looking for this particle that they were trying to... It was a binding particle. And they were trying to say, well, the theory was by, by Professor Higgs that... This particle would move through uh, a certain sphere and would draw particles towards, or atoms and particles towards itself. And they use the picture of a famous movie star walking through a crowd while, you know, Eddie Giudetti walks on the other side and no one hangs around Eddie Giudetti. But, you know, everyone's following, you know, whoever the famous movie star is and they're all drawn together to it. That's the picture. Guess what they called the particle other than the Higgs boson? They were looking for the God particle. That's what they called it. Why the God particle? Because it's what holds everything together. So what they did in this collider is that they would race these things around in almost the speed of light and they would smash them together like a boy with toys trying to work it out how it all works. And when it broke apart, they could find something in there. And they discovered the Higgs boson. They discovered the God particle. Now, you thought that they've discovered the entire fabric of the universe and now they can understand it. Well, their basic premise is that everything goes from simple 
to complex, yeah? I mean, when, when, when evolution began and, and Darwin, he thought that the, the, the cell was just a bit of blob, you know, just a, you know, nothing really, very, very simple building block. So they thought the same thing with all these, but now they've actually discovered that this God particle is so much more complex, they, they still can't comprehend it. They're still scratching their heads, you know? Isn't it amazing how scripture comes alive? Have a look at that. So the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. God's made it clear within his word, but he's made it clear within creation and he holds us all accountable for it. This is an incredible, incredible event that's happened in scripture and an incredible event that's happened throughout us. The next point of this is that it's inherent in the fall. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, please. Genesis chapter 2. The will of God has to be that which he can hold man accountable to. He only holds people accountable to that which he expects them to know. Which he expects them to know. In a, um, in a free society, it's said that the writers of the laws of a free society write laws few, few laws, and clear. Okay? It's a definition of a free society. If you've got a few laws and those laws are clear, then you can be rightly held accountable. Okay? Makes sense? It's just to, hold, to be held accountable to the laws that are few and are clear. But they also say that a totalitarian state creates laws that are many and vague. Many and vague. What sort of a state are we working towards at the moment? You know, the recent government has introduced 16,000 new laws over the last two terms, in the last two terms. The entire country of Australia operated for a hundred and something years on a document set of about that thick. Okay? And in 2011, they wrote a document set that high. Not new laws altogether, but changing the words of the laws that existed and extrapolating on others. You think they don't contradict one another, some of these laws? I think they might. So every single day, you and I are doing something illegal. Every single day. So we're losing our freedom. God gave us 10. We went through them yesterday. 10. Wow, how much simpler could you get? Free society, just God. He is just. And here, have a read from verse, um, verse 15. Verse 15. Actually, I want to do something else here. It was God's will for man to obey. So from verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And God had given man his commandment. How many? How many? It's one. One. One commandment, one commandment. That was, that was it. You know, that was the only negative commandment that he gave. Negative commandment saying, you know, don't eat of that. Don't, negative, eat of that. Sure, you will surely die. Immediately after this verse comes the creation of the helpmeet for man, woman, taken from man. In verse 
24, you have the institution of marriage put in there. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. The two become one. The two become one. The next verse, God makes an interesting statement saying this. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They were both naked and they were not ashamed. Next begins chapter 3. 3? The next chapter? Have a look at this. The very first verse of it. There's a whole bunch of firsts in here and I want you to have a look at this. You know the, the Genesis is the book of firsts? Everything that began began there? Have a look just here in this portion from the first verse of this chapter. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The first appearance of Satan there. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The first question there. Ever notice that the question mark actually looks like a snake with the eye? You know? Yeah, I just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> and the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. The first distortion of God's words found there. Lest ye die, the first watering down of God's words. What did he say? Ye shall surely die. Lest ye die. Surely die. Lest ye die. Satan knew exactly what he said. Because the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. That's the first denial of God's words. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil, the first lie. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, and it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, pride of life, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, the first transition of truth. We spoke about that a little bit yesterday. I won't go into it too much today. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat the first disobedience of God and allegiance to Satan. And the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, the first experience of shame, and made themselves aprons, the first attempt to cover themselves. They understood God's will. God's will is inherent in the fall. It's inherent in the fall itself. It's also implicate in judgment. If you have a look, if you're still in Genesis... Move over to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to be going through a few of the items in Scripture this morning. So if you don't have tabs for your Bible, we should probably start selling some. Genesis chapter 6. And verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil Continue, continually. What's incredible about this is this is the event that actually precedes the fall. He's speaking about the characteristic of man. He's speaking about what, they, what they're like. Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years, the Bible tells us. These people knew God's will. God will judge them according to what he has already revealed to them. What he has already revealed to them. What he is expecting them to know and to understand. Okay, so we have it already 
in judgment. The very fact that he's judging these individuals demonstrates to you that fact and that reality. We go over to Sodom and Gomorrah and he speaks about that, that place and that they were full of wickedness over there. That they were, they were proud, they were full of bread and leisure and idleness was in her. And he judged those cities as a direct result of what already he understood or what already they were supposed to understand his will. Who did we have there? We had Lot over there. Lot sat in the gate. Lot sat in the gate. If you know anything about Bible history, you'll understand that the position of sitting in the gate is a position of judgment. He was a judge there. He was one of those officials that were involved in there. And actually, the men themselves made that clear. They said, what's that be? You came here to sojourn, and now would you be a judge over us? Okay, so that's already found in Scripture. So you have cities where there were men already telling people that these are the ways of God. So not only was it evident in creation, but there was also individuals that were there present. This is an interesting one. Have a look at um, Jesus's words in Gospel of Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 19, because the Lord also holds them accountable. He holds the people accountable to know of him. Luke chapter 19. Once you find the chapter, go to verse 41 is where we want to go. Again, we're speaking about God's will is implicit in judgment. Okay, it's there in judgment, the very fact that he judges. Verse 41, he says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, this, in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. He was in Jerusalem. He's looking at Jerusalem at this time. Okay, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, <clears throat> at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and can pass thee round and keep thee on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Amazingly, amazingly, brethren, listen to this. Amazingly. The Lord Jesus held them accountable to know Daniel chapter 9. He held them accountable to know the very day that he was to make his appearance into Jerusalem. He held them accountable and he pronounced judgment on them. After the Lord died in 70 AD, Titus Vespasian, this is historical so you can check this out. Titus Vespasian came with his legion and cast a siege about the city, about the city of Jerusalem. Josephus records that the siege was so bad that people were eating their own children okay, because the food had run out. The entire temple was destroyed and pulled apart, stone by stone, to scrape off all the gold. And when Jesus actually said, I tell you that, see these buildings here, there won't be one stone left upon another, that was fulfilled literally. Fulfilled literally. Incredible how God judged the people because they were supposed to expect his coming at that time. And there was only a few people that were laying the, uh, the palm branches in the way. So he held them accountable to know his will. He wrote it. And Jesus made it very, very clear. 
that he also held them accountable to know his will. It's interesting as well, because not long after that, it seems to be that the same legion that actually destroyed Jerusalem were covered by the mountain that blew up in Pompeii. Amazing story. If you trace that back, I can't get over that. So God judged them for actually doing what they did to Jerusalem, even though that was part of his, his command. Incredible. Incredible stuff. So it's implicating judgment. So we have it. It's inherent in the fall. It's also expected there and in judgment. The second point, created to do God's will. Turn to Genesis chapter 1, please. Thing keeps crashing over here. Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Again, you found your spot. Nearly there, still hearing the pages turning. Right. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. We have a world that's teaching that you're nothing but an accident. You're a freak of nature. From We were created in some sort of a warm pond there, and lightning had struck it, and... Then from that point there, you have all the fish, and then fish walked out of the water, and then and and, and now, now we can make television shows and sing songs and everything. This was, this was, this was from the from the goo through the zoo to, to you. <laughs> so with with that mentality, what purpose do you have? Well, what what purpose do you have? You're created to do God's will, the Bible says. You're created, each one of you. Each one of you are created for a reason. You're created for a purpose. For a very, very particular purpose. You're created to do His will. The, the, the whole evolutionary idea really leaves us a little bit stuck because now it's basically we might as well just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It leads to an incredible degree of, um, of insecurity within people's lives. They're constantly seeking and looking for meaning. Why? Why do we look for meaning? Why is that our natural instinct to look for purpose, to look for meaning? You know? Why, why do we look for meaning? We have it within us. We need a purpose for our existence. So we're looking for the security that other people can give us rather than the security that the Lord gives us. You know? And from that mindset, you end up becoming pretty reckless. If it's just all about you now, it's recklessness. It leads to recklessness. And ultimately, and ultimately, taking that position full throttle forward, it leads to suicide. And it does. Because people have abandoned all hope. They don't understand if there's a reason or a purpose for their own lives. They can't find it within this life. They can't find it in the parties. They can't find it in the drugs. They use it to escape reality. They can't find it in whatever their, their, their emotions and their feelings lead them towards. Joy and peace and happiness 
is not found there. Why? They're not living according to the purpose with which God created them. And you know what's incredible? What's incredible is that even the scientists that believe in evolution, everything that they look at, every creature, every animal, every bird, every tree, they ask a question. What's that for? What's that for? What's the purpose of that? What's the purpose of that? They, they look at an animal and they find something, oh, how does that work and what's its purpose? What makes them think that there's a purpose? I mean, if everything was just a freak of nature, nothing should have a purpose. A purpose means it was a purposeful creation. There was something that did it on purpose. Someone that created on purpose. Okay? Therefore, you have a purpose. There's a reason for you to be here. You are not an accident. Hey, and I grew up all my life being told I was an accident. Mum and Dad didn't plan little old Eddie. <laughs> sort of one of those freaks of nature that sort of just popped out, you know. And, hey, here I am in the world, I'm an accident. Yet God had a plan. God had a plan. He's got a purpose for my life. He's got a purpose for yours. Every single one of you are here on purpose because you were created on purpose. It should really be exciting for you, you know, and that's what you're here to do. I know you're here to discover what God's will is and God's purpose. We might fast forward to that. What do you reckon? Yeah, okay, let's fast forward to that. Well, have a look at this first. We've got in Psalm 139 verse 19, he says, We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Jeremiah 1.5, God actually said to him, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Isaiah understood as well, thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb. God had a plan in his mind before birth. Before you were born, God already had a plan in his mind. I love Paul. Paul already understood. He, he said in Galatians, he said, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. When did he separate Paul? From his mother's womb. He separated him already then. Incredibly, Paul also teaches, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the earth, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You were created on purpose. If you were created on purpose, then you were created for a purpose. Stands to reason? You cannot do God's will until you understand you were created by his will and for his will. You're created for him. That's why you can't find joy in anything else other than doing his will. Everything else is just going to be a complete waste of time. There you go. You've discovered something. How exciting is that? See, that's why you come to listen to messages, you know, so you can learn something about you. What a blessing. Desire to find God's will. The third point. The third point. And the final point. Turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, please. Ecclesiastes. So if you've gone to the middle of the book, you just sort of turn right. You go past Proverbs. And you'll hit Ecclesiastes. There was a man that actually wrote the book. He was a great king. The Bible speaks of him as being the richest and greatest of all the kings. And he had God... Behind him, he, he, he built the temple that he, was, um, that he was to build. And he spoke to God. You know, the Lord spoke to him. He, he did exactly what the Lord wanted him to do. But he, um, 
like a backslidden Christian, he sort of went off on a bit of a tangent. Have a look there at, um, you know, I didn't even write down what chapter it is. I'm thinking that it's in chapter 1. I'm pretty sure it is. And verse 12. Chapter 1 and verse 12. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Is that it? Well, we are good. Thanks. Sorry. Didn't write down the chapter. Look what he says here. And have a look at how many references he makes to his own heart. Remember we touched on the heart yesterday? The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Right? Remember that? Okay. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. I communed with mine own heart, saying, where's he communing? He's communing in his own heart. What happened to God? Where's God in this? He's communing now with his own heart. He's, he's shifted now the focus. Now it's within him. Truth is found in me. It's in me. It's all in me. And that's how Solomon's looking at it. I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than they all that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. I said in mine heart, chapter 2, Go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine. Yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men which they should do under heaven all the days of their life. So understand what he's doing now. He's doing what most of the people are doing today. Right? He's giving himself over to all the experiments in this world to try and find purpose within all of that. To try and find purpose within this world. To see what, what, what is it? What are we here for? He's not communing with the Lord here. He's communing with his own self and his natural tendency is to lead towards all this sort of stuff. But I want you to think about this. If any man at all had the way or ability to be able to completely fulfill his lusts, it's Solomon. You know, he had every ability to do it. He had amazing amount of wealth and power. He had the fullest ability to do it. We'll finish on this on the last portion and see how he finishes up. Have a look. <coughs> He says from verse 4, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. And I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I gave me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy 
For my heart rejoiced in all my labour, and this was my portion of all my labour. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labour that I had laboured to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. You know, all you really needed to do was sort of read that. Hey, if I had read that, I probably, knowing my own heart at the time, I probably just would have said, yeah, it's just an old book. But, mate, I wouldn't have bothered with all the, all the things that I was working towards doing and trying to do, trying to do God's will. And I wasn't trying to do God's will. I was trying to do my own. He's trying to find purpose. Yesterday we read chapter 12, you remember? We read the end of it, and he says the conclusion of the matter is to fear God and keep his commandments. That's what his conclusion was. At the end of all of Ecclesiastes, his conclusion was that all this was just a complete waste of time. Where do you find joy? Where do you find fulfillment? Where do you find purpose? Where do you find hope? You find it in the Lord. Solomon tried it all. Learn from him. Learn from him. Last part, in desiring to find God's will, we realise where you don't find it here in Ecclesiastes. We realise here where you don't find it. But there is a place where you can find it. And one place in particular that I want to touch on, and then we'll close. <clears throat> it's in our example of our Lord Jesus again. It's back to him. It's back to our Saviour. Back to the one that said, not my will, but thine be done. Back to the one that gave his back to the smiters and to them that plucked off the hair. Back to the one that fulfilled his father's will on the cross. Back to the one that secured your salvation for all eternity. He gave us a perfect expression of a perfect will on Calvary. You know, that's where he gave us that wonderful expression of his will. How did he come to that? The Bible says that he was taught of God. He was taught. He sought the Lord and he was taught of the Father. In John 8, 28, the Lord Jesus said unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. In an incredibly prophetic passage in the Old Testament, we see that the Lord rose up morning by morning to be taught of the Lord as the learned. In Isaiah 50, the Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He waketh, wakeneth me morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, he says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey. The Jews questioned this with respect to the Lord Jesus. Do you remember that? When they were coming against him, and they said in John chapter 7, they said, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Well, Maybe he didn't attend their universities. Maybe he didn't attend their schools. But he learned of the Father. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, 
but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. The doctrine refers to the teaching, what he's being taught. Being taught by the Father, it is not difficult to do the will of the Father. You need to be taught by the Lord. Jesus is our perfect example. He sought the Father daily. He didn't have a big spurt of being learnt by the Lord, by the Father. He didn't just cram it all in, in, you know, in a few months or in a year or anything like that. He was taught from his youth up. You know, we, we, we sit there and we think, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, read the Bible. Yep, read it. Done. Read the Bible. Past tense. Is that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to read the Bible. Present, future, ongoing. We can study that book for 50 years and we won't plumb at the depths of it. You know? And yet it feeds us every single time we open its pages. Every single time we open its pages. I had a brother in law that said, Yeah, yeah, I read the Bible. I read it. I read it. You know, you read it. He doesn't believe it, doesn't follow it, and he's not saved. You know, We can't just read the Bible once. It has to be a daily exercise. If you're not doing it daily, be for sure you're not going to be doing the Father's will because that's his will, was to give us the Word of God. This is the last portion of Scripture I want you to turn to. Turn to Psalm 119. Anybody know Psalm 119? You know what it's about? It's the longest one in the scriptures. It's pretty much in the middle of the book. So if you flip your Bible right over into the middle of the book, you should find the Psalms. Go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 consists of 176 verses. 176 verses in Psalm 119. Don't get too put off. It only takes you about half an hour to get through it. All right? But only four of those verses don't speak about the very Word of God. The Word of God is all through every single verse of Psalm 119. There's seven words used for the Word of God, and you know where they're found? In the first seven verses. So you've got the first seven verses, you've got the word word, but then every word that's used for the Word of God, statutes, judgments, commandments, testimonies, what? Oh, yeah, those ones, there's seven, all right? And they're all there in the first seven. Here we have another seven, and let's have a look at this. And I hope this comes to your memory, and I hope you really hold on to it, from verse 99, a couple of pages over, verse 99. When I saw this, I completely rejoiced. I really rejoiced. Verse 99 says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. The words of God are his meditation. Every day, every day, he meditates on them. 100, I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. You thought Aristotle and Plato and Socrates were the geniuses of the ancients. The modern world holds them up and holds them up in such high regard. You read their writings, brethren. Read their writings. Read Plato's Republic. Mate, the guy's a nut. <laughs> he really is. And Aristotle's not much better. Aristotle came up with the, 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 the method of inquiry, okay, Socrates gave us the, the way of being able to question things in order to come to the truth. But all their problems are they start off with a premise that is assumed. A premise or a beginning point which they just take a guess at. And modern science actually follows that same way. But you read their writings and you think, you, you, got, you just said this, but over here you said something else. Those two things contradict one another. That, that can't be true. So again, that's the ancients and what? They don't have the fear of the Lord. 
we now understand that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Knowledge begins with the fear of the Lord, but there was no fear of the Lord in them. 101. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, <coughs> for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Seven wonderful verses that can help you understand that if you're wanting to find the will of God and to know the will of God, you're going to find it by reading the word of God. Now, a point. Each one of you are looking and seeking God's will. You, you, you're wanting to find out what God wants from you, what, what he wants you to do within your life. You're not going to be able to discover that within your own heart. Okay? It's not going to be within you. You're going to be discovering that by knowing who God is, knowing his character. When you know his character, you'll know what he's pleased with. You'll know what he's happy with. You'll know how he wants you to live your life. If you're looking for an employment opportunity, okay, you're looking for a job, what is it that you want me to do, Lord, within my life? What job do you want me to have? Do you know what? He doesn't give you a specific. He won't sit there and say, Thou, Eddie, be just a pizza maker. <laughs> you know? But what he asks me to do is to do what I do with all my ability for his glory, for his honour. Do it with integrity. Do it with integrity. Okay. No, no, he won't be, won't be his will for you to become a prostitute. You should be able to recognise that without him telling you that. No, no, it won't be his will for you to become a tattooist. Sorry, but that's art, is it? No, it is art. But also when you understand his character, when you understand who he is, you understand where his heart is, you'll already understand what he would want you to do and what he wouldn't want you to do. I had a gentleman that wrote me a letter once um, and he said, you know, I feel you know, God's within me and, you know, and I understood halfway through the, 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 the second series of Sopranos that I shouldn't be watching this stuff. Really? Took you to the second series of Sopranos to realise you shouldn't be watching this stuff. Well, you know, if, if you had read the Bible, it actually said abstain from all appearance of evil. Right? You wouldn't have gone through the first episode before you would have realised, I can't watch this stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the word of God that's going to be able to lead you into the will of God, to understand his way and his will and his purpose for your life. You do whatever work you want to do, but do it with him in mind. A tattooist? No. A prostitute? No. A lawyer? Yeah. <laughs> a politician? Uh, well, why not? With integrity. Do it with integrity. Do it with honesty. You won't last. You won't last in the job. But who knows? Who knows? You know, throughout history, we've got second in charge of the entire global world were Jews, were his people, Daniel. Have a look at Daniel. Have a look at Joseph. You know, we've got those in Scripture. They were second in charge. Incredible stories behind those as well when you dig into them. They're unbelievable. Real estate agent. I was a real estate agent. You know how you can tell if a real estate agent's lying? Lips are moving. 
It's true. It's true. 100% true. Do it with integrity. Do the work that you do with integrity. And if you find that you are limited in that work, then it's time to pull out. It's time to move on. Okay? But you are going to find the will of God in his word. Learn about him. Devour that book. Read it. Hour by hour, day by day. Anybody know how long it takes to read the Bible? Come on, I've said it once before. 70 hours. 70 hours. You can read the Bible an hour a day and get through it five times in a year. Not this 15-minute snack wrap that you do every day. Okay? Spend an hour a day in the Word of God. Spend an hour a day. Are you serious? You haven't got the time? Get up earlier. Get up early. I'll start work at 7 a.m. I've got to get up early, you know, in order to read the word and still be able to travel to work and spend time with the Lord in prayer. But, oh, mate, what a joy. And you know what? You know how we got the books and we read them from cover to cover? Try that. Just assume for a second that we've actually got the Bible as it is. Genesis through to Revelation. Beginning of things, the end of things. Just assume that that's the way he wants us to read it. Now, if you've got to study the Bible in any other form... That's added on top. Okay, but read it, brethren. You're not going to find the Lord's will until you get into the Word of God. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in you, dear Lord. We, we rejoice in the Word of God. We understand through Scripture, dear Lord, that um, we are indeed accounted to know your will. And Lord, we believe in all our heart, dear Father, that we are also created to do your will. I pray, dear Lord, that within each one of us, you would create within us and help us seek after you and have the desire to do God's will and to learn God's will and to find God's will. Father, we need a hunger for the word of God. No more to be fed with just milk, Lord, but to get into the very meat of scripture. Lord, help us have that desire, dear Father, for your word. And let us read it and understand it, that we may be guided through it, dear Lord, and we may be so wonderfully blessed. I pray, dear Lord, for the rest of this morning and this day, dear Lord. I pray that you will bless us, be with us in our fellowship and our conversation, Father. We praise you in Jesus' most glorious and precious of names. Amen.